Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Well, good morning, everyone. Delight to be here. I'm excited for this is now part three in our four-part series on encounters with Christ. Our first time, our first week together, we looked at the Emmaus Walk. We saw the two men who met Jesus along the journey, and Jesus opened up the scriptures to them. They went back to his house, and they marveled at the greatness of Jesus Christ. Last week, we began the story of this uh, woman at the well and Jesus' encounter with her. So as we've just read from the passage of Scripture, we're going to do part two today. We're going to cover a lot of ground in the passage today. So we'll fly not at quite 30,000 feet, but at least 20,000 feet as we move through that and looking at this uh, together. And then next week, being Mother's Day, I thought what I would share as far as an encounter with Christ is to look at the story and the encounter of Uh, Martha and Mary, in the encounter they had with Jesus. So if you want to be thinking about next week and you want to read ahead, that's where we're going to be for next week. And then we'll be into our series on Psalms. Let's look at this question this morning as we begin. What are the boundaries we encounter to reaching people with the gospel? We know as born-again followers of Jesus Christ that we've been entrusted with the gospel, that of the death Burial, resurrection, appearance, ascension, that of Jesus Christ. We've been entrusted with that, with the gospel. What boundaries do we overcome in order to share the gospel? Because this is so important to us as followers of Christ, because we can watch Jesus and we can see how he worked with people and how he loved people and how he was compassionate with people. And then... What I want to see from that is when he dealt with this woman at the well, he obviously overcame many boundaries or culture taboos, things that weren't right, that he wanted to make right. He wanted justice in this. And as you and I move through our world today, I think we have to realize there are boundaries and there are things set up around us that God is literally calling us to go beyond those boundaries so that we too can be faithful with the gospel. That as we see someone like the woman at the well, or we're on an Emmaus journey, or when we arrive at the home of Martha and Mary, what that would be like to overcome that. So let's look at this then as we consider our passage this morning. The God of of no boundaries, here's your first fill in the blank, The God of no boundaries demonstrates his amazing love, compassion, and understanding of people, including sinful and socially outcast people. We might say, Tom, in my desire to reach people, I'm comfortable in my zone, but I'm not comfortable in another zone. And what we find about Jesus Christ, his desire was to go beyond the boundaries So here he reaches out to a woman who's a social outcast. She's scorned by all the other people in the community. And yet Jesus finds her incredibly valuable, incredibly important as he desires to minister to her. So he knows no boundaries. 
And his boundaries then really don't stop him from sinful people or people that are social outcasts. And sometimes in our heart and our desire to reach people, we can be fearful of that. And we have some prejudices that have set in our hearts and lives over years of growing up and being influenced by certain things. We want to be mindful of that. Well, here's the picture that this scene would have looked like. And so we're going to pick it up where Jesus calls her out of her sin. And then we'll watch as he maneuvers and works even with his disciples. Answering these three questions, what does the passage reveal about them And what does the passage reveal about me? Now, one of the things we talked about last week that's critically important in the passage of Scripture is this. I see myself in the passage as the woman. Because the tendency for us is to run to the passage of Scripture and say, okay, here's how you reach people. Here's an evangelistic display that Jesus gives us on how to reach people with the gospel. But that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is you are the woman at the well. We are sinful, broken, um, depraved, needy people, just like she was. And if you see yourself as greater than the woman at the well, you've missed the heart of the passage of Christ. John is communicating, I am like she is. Just as desperate, I'm just as sinful. So you haven't had five husbands, Some of the sins in our lives are just as haunting and just as negative as hers was. So then we'll look at what Jesus reveals about himself, which is everything awesome about what Jesus is to us. And then what can I do based on that? For me, application to the text is critical. So as I walk away, I'm going to give you three things I want you to do and think about then as we go forward with that. Okay, so let's think about these then, these encounters with Christ and as we consider through, so if you got your Bibles open, I think to John 4, let's pick it up there. And let's pick it up in verse 15. I'll move through a little bit of uh, transition from where we were last week to this week. Verse 15 says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She wanted physically to understand How can I stop coming to the well for this thirst of water? Jesus had something else in mind. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come. There's a phrase in your Bible that's really critical. Go call your husband and come. What's it say next? Go and call her and what? Bring her here, right? Bring her here. There's something significant about Jesus wanting to deal with a woman's sins. Verse 17, the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Now, how did she say that? I read this text multiple times. and I thought, I wish I have to read it and somehow guess how that went. But maybe when she said that, maybe it was a little bit like this. This is how I would interpret it. It's like, I have, I have no husband. But she knew, she knew something was happening in her life. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. In saying this, I have no husband, you have five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So immediately it clicks in her mind, this man knows something about my past. He knows about all five of my previous marriages, 
and he knows that I'm now living, if you will, in an adulterous relationship with a, woman, with a man that I'm not even married to. You talk about social outcasts. You talk about a woman who's caught in sin. This is her as she's confronted with Christ. So the question I want us to think about, why would Jesus put her on the spot like that? What is Jesus doing and what does he do to us? And why is he doing this to this woman? And the reason he's doing this is because he wanted her to see her sin. You and I have to recognize our own sin. It is the recognition of our sin that brought us to saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think some people who come to faith in Christ and make a profession of faith without recognizing the magnitude of their sin have missed the whole, they've missed the whole lot. You guys have heard this thing called easy believism. Easy believism goes like this. I, I heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive people their sins and that Jesus comes and he lives with you and, and you can have eternal life and go to heaven someday. If that's what Jesus is, then I, I want Jesus. And nowhere in that gospel presentation is the reality and the consequences of my own sin. So I think Jesus is drawing her out because he wants her to see her sin in order for her to understand salvation. What you said is true. The only way, here's, here's what's important in understanding evangelism. The only way, the only way Jesus could um, get her to understand her sin was to toil in the, in the soil of her own heart so that she could, so she could see it. That her heart needed a seed planted in it. And he was, he was tilling the soil in order to plant a seed and that, we know, is the seed of salvation. So we can understand it this way. There is no conversion. There is no conversion without conviction. You can't be converted without conviction. So look in verse 19, then. She sends Jesus on a detour because nobody wants to be confronted by their sin. No one wants to, to, to hear the words, I'm a sinner. So she does what we would normally do as well. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, so she's getting at the fact that he said these things about her. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one is to worship. Okay, so like, what is the deal with that? Why all of a sudden is she changing the conversation from her sin and her need to, hey, do the Jews worship on this mountain and the Samaritans, we worship on this mountain? And so this is literally a detour to try to get the spotlight off of her and onto something else. It's exactly what I did when people confronted me with the gospel. I wanted to change that subject, and often it happens to, to us in ministry. Now, when people find out I'm a pastor, they put a lot of things away in my presence. I kid you not, I've had more cigarettes hidden from me in my life than you can imagine. I was sure one lady was going to catch her dress on fire one day, because we were going to the spa, and I saw her, and she was walking towards me. I saw her before she saw me, which is always kind of interesting, and she's smoking a cigarette. And we're walking towards that, and all of a sudden she recognizes it's me. And she comes up to me, and all of a sudden she slings this thing in behind her dress. 
well, I think this is just about the funniest thing going on, and I'm just wondering how long she's going to leave it behind there before it starts like smoking up behind her, or her dress catches on fire. And I'm thinking, this is going to be really cool. The whole spar, the whole spar parking lot's going to get a kick out of this. But we have these detours that we send people on. You share the gospel, and they say, hey, listen, how can a good God send suffering into people's lives? You explain to me why the tsunami happened and killed thousands and thousands of people. How can God hate gay people? You know, there's this series of questions that just start rolling out, and it's, it's all intentional, just like her detour, to get this spotlight off of my own sin and move it on to something else so that we're not offended by that. Look at verse 21, because Jesus responds to that. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This next phrase in your Bible, get it underlined. It's so critical to understand what's happening here. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the quick theology of the passage is Jesus is not shaken up by her question. And Jesus is going to theologically, in this short paragraph, basically say this. It doesn't really matter whether you worship on that mountain or that mountain. There is only one person who's do your true worship, and it's God. And it's God. And it's the Jesus Christ who came out of the Jewish background and the Jewish heritage. So she wants to go in a little bit of detour. Jesus says, listen, we're not, we're not going to do that. And then I had you underline in your Bibles, verse 23, for the Father is seeking worshipers, to worship him. This is the heartbeat of God's desire for all people. And it goes something like this. I used to worship myself. And then I found Jesus Christ. I understood that Jesus Christ came and died for me so that I could have life. And so no longer do I worship myself. My life has radically been changed by Christ. And so now I worship him. The heartbeat of Jesus Christ is that all people would be worshipers of him. The Father wants all of us to be worshipers of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about it this way. This is probably one of the best paragraphs I've ever read. It comes out of John Piper's book on Let the Nations Be Glad. Let me read this for you. Let's digest this. Listen to what he says. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't exist. Now listen to the church. We're all about being a missional church. We're all about reaching the nations for Jesus Christ. But I think Piper's right here. That the ultimate goal of the church is not missions. It's worship that you would worship Jesus Christ, that I would worship Jesus Christ, that the people surrounding our church building here would all worship Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the Father. 
He goes on to say this. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countries, and the, I'm sorry, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Do you gather what he's saying? Because someday when we're all out of here and the church is raptured and we're gone and we're all in heaven uh, honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be worshiping him forever. There will be no need for a mission context anymore on the earth. There'll be no more. The church's mission will be, in essence, over, move through that tribulation period, and then we'll be on to the millennial period. So we understand what Jesus Christ is getting at and what he wants us to understand. The Father is seeking such to worship him. Look on and then in John 25 as we pick up the text and continue on. It says there in verse 25, the woman said to him, listen, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then the most miraculous part of this whole passage of scripture is this. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. She, do you ever recognize this? When you share the gospel, and this was, I didn't finish my earlier sentence. She knows a little bit about the Messiah. You have this experience with people? When you begin to talk about salvation through Jesus Christ, I find that people know a little bit about Jesus. Not enough to be saved and born again, but they know a little bit about him. She, she did as well. She had heard of the Messiah. She knew that the Messiah was going to come and explain all things. And the Messiah would be the one that would come and rescue his people. And yet she was thirsty, but never drank from the well. She never drank of the living water that Jesus Christ has to offer. And then Jesus, can you, you can imagine the scene. Be intimate with the passage of Scripture. He's sitting on the side of that well, that picture I just showed you. He looks into her eyes and he says, it's me. I am he. So at this point, you, you can imagine what the Spirit of God is doing now because it's like, okay, I've heard of the Messiah. Now you're claiming to be the Messiah? Because none of this makes sense. You, you're a Jew, and you're sitting on the side of this well, speaking things to me, and now you tell me you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. It's interesting in the passage of Scripture how it moves from, the whole passage moves from Jesus being a Jew. She calls him a sir. He becomes a prophet. He becomes the Messiah, and we'll see in a few moments that he becomes the Savior. I want you to look at this, this on the screen here because this is the journey that the woman is now, I'm going to show you, which I think she now gets saved in the passage of Scripture. This is the journey, in essence, that Christ has been taking her on. We call this the bridge to life. The person on the left of the bridge is without God and doesn't know him. When we get to the other side of the bridge, we have new life in Jesus Christ and are born again and have eternal life. And it goes something like this. There is a God who created man. Man then sinned and caused sin to come in the world. And as a result of his sin, it means that he's going to die. 
There's a death due to him because of his sin. And so we move through that and we understand that we're halfway across the bridge, but there's more. And the more is what's happening in the text. That then God's plan was, I'm going to redeem my people and I'm going to send my only beloved son, Jesus Christ. And he's going to come and he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die and take their sin on his shoulders, bear the weight of the sin in order to become the perfect lamb and the sacrifice so that they can live and have life and thirst no longer. And so then people who put their faith in this cross and what Christ has done for them then have their sins forgiven and they have, what's the last step on the bridge? They have life. That's what he's getting at in the passage of Scripture. They have new life and are born again and they thirst no more. They don't thirst like people who have no Jesus and who have no God. So Jesus is there before her. Look at verse 27 then, because now the scene changes. In your Bible, if you want to mark down, woman comes to faith in Christ. It's right in that, right in that verse right there when we get to the end of verse 25. Because when we get to verse 27, at this point then, his disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said anything. No one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, the woman then left her pot and went on her way into the city and said to the men. Okay, we're going to pick that up in there in just a moment. But here's, here's what I want you to think about. Look at your Bibles and answer the question. Did she leave her pot at the well on purpose or did she forget it? Because the disciples are now coming back. You remember, they ran off to the KFC to get chicken for Jesus and everybody else. And they've picked up the chicken, and they're coming back because he was just with this woman by himself. They're all coming back now. They arrive at the scene, and they're there, and they see him talking to this woman, but nobody says a thing. They all know what he's doing in, in their eyes is wrong. Because they had boundaries, and Jesus was crossing boundaries that they wouldn't know how to cross. They wouldn't talk to the woman. It's the most amazing part of our Bibles as then Jesus begins to talk with them. Look at verse 29 then. Because she makes it into the city now. She leaves the well. She goes into Sychar. She's now there. Listen to what she says then to the people there. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Okay, listen, stop for a minute. Tune into your Bible. Do you understand what that was like when this woman with her checkered past, living in adultery, goes into the city and says, come, listen to a man who told me everything I've ever done. They're all going like, like do we ever know what you've done? They knew her past. They knew how many marriages she had. She knew how many people she had hurt in her life and how many people hurt her. Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Verse 30. Then they went out of, their, out, then they went out of the city and they came to him. Okay, look, let's just continue reading on so I can get through the text. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, listen to these guys, 
Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Like, I went through all the trouble to go get this food. He acts like he's not even hungry. We're going to have chicken, Jesus. So we got to get with the program. To which Jesus says, watch this, verse 34. This is Jesus' mission statement. Listen to what he says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Because remember, the conversation has been a lot about um, the physical side of water and food for Jesus. Jesus says, listen, it's actually not about physical at all. You think your needs are physical. Your greatest needs are spiritual. They're spiritual. That's what we need. And that's what he's trying to get across to them. So that Jesus' disciples return. Jesus is trying to get into their hearts for them to see. And then in verse 35, he has this intimate moment with the disciples. Because Jesus now looks into their eyes. Verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white as harvest. Okay, question for you. Um, did the disciples have their eyes closed? Why, why did he say that? Why did he say, open your eyes and look? Say again. They were spiritually blind. They were spiritually blind exactly to what was happening. That's exactly right. Because you remember the woman went off. Just everybody look out this window here. Look out this way. Because, go ahead and look this way. Don't look at me. Look this way. Look out there because the woman had gone over there to share that the Messiah has shared these things with her. Could this be the Christ? She then gathers all these people in the town and they're all coming back to the well where Jesus and the disciples are. They're coming back to this building. And it's, it's four months until the harvest. So I want you to picture this. It's like the wheat would be out there and the grains kind of just flowing back and forth. And heads are bobbing up and down because there are multiple people now coming back with Jesus. Because this woman whose life had been radically changed by Christ, she immediately goes to tell others about him. They're out there, they're in sick car, and they're like, man, if Jesus did that for her, if this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, I, I want what she has. She has no evangelical experience trained in discipleship, period, bar none. It's just been a few minutes ago. And they're all, they're all coming back. They're all coming back to see the Jesus that she's been telling them about. I want you to look into the eyes of the people on the screen. I was speaking at a, a, a missions conference in Jacksonville, Florida in January when I was away from you. This was the image that the church that I was preaching at used for their conference. And for me, when I saw this image, I locked in on people's eyes. And I have you stare at those eyes a little bit because that's the world that you and I live in. That's our world. And that's the world that Jesus Christ died for. And they're, they're out there. They're, they're out in the field. And they're hearing about Jesus Christ. But they need somebody to, they need somebody to tell them the full, the full truth of Christ so they can have life and be born in him. 
let's close the passage of scripture then, starting in verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Amen to that. For in that saying, for, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you, listen, to, he's talking to the disciples, right? I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors, meaning that we're all working together for the good of the gospel that people will come to faith in Christ. Let's do this then. Let's look at our three questions, and I've got some fill in the blanks for you, and then we're going to pray together and ask the Lord to help us do this even this week. What does Jesus reveal about them or me? We know the woman, that I'm to be seen as the woman, as the sinner in the passage of Scripture. Here's what he does, and here's what I see about myself and them. Our sin exposes our condition. Say to yourself regularly, Excuse me, make it part of your vocabulary. I am a broken person. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm dark. I'm hard. I'm evil. I'm deceptive. Whatever terms you, you're all of those things. If not for the Spirit of God to try to help you to overcome that, you, you, could, never, you could never do it. You simply could not do it. I did a wedding yesterday out in Parle. And so the, the couple had picked 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as their passage and verses they wanted me to share. So as I extended the challenge to them at the wedding, I went through 16 different terms of what love is. And I wanted to encourage them that if you try to love your husband, or you try to love your wife out of your own flesh, you just try to do this on their own, you're going to fail miserably. But if you cry out as a follower of Jesus Christ and you ask the Spirit of God to help you do this, you can do it. You can love the way that Jesus loves. Second is this. We try to avoid what God exposes. You guys may not have this happen, but in my life, I'm, I'm aware how God continually brings something up in my life that he's trying to do and that he keeps putting in my eyes and in my path. It could be through things I hear, through other messages. It could be people who speak to me. It, be, it could be because of the scriptures that I read. And there's reoccurring things coming through your mind and your heart through the work of the Spirit of God so that he can expose those things to, about you that he's trying to change. When it comes up again, and it comes up again, and it comes up again. Ask yourself, God, what are, you, what are you trying to say to me? It might be, I want you to stop doing this. Or it might be, I want you to start doing this. Third is this. New birth brings transformation. I believe that all people, when they get saved, should get saved radically. You don't have to be a pastor to be radically saved. Matter of fact, I would prefer you not be a pastor and you be a radical, saved, on fire for God, businessman, nurse, um, domestic worker, shop owner, whatever it might be that you would be passionate about that for Christ. 
because the, the example we saw of the woman, she, she, she realizes she has Jesus. And what does she do? Man, I'm telling you, she's on an all-out um, story to get others involved in the redemption plan of Christ. Okay, let's look at the second question then. What does Jesus reveal about himself being awesome in every way? I can only give you three with this. Jesus relentlessly pursues his people despite the boundaries. Jesus will go at, at absolutely every cost in order to save one person. You remember the lost sheep, right? And there's a hundred of them out there. Jesus says, I'm going for the one that's lost. I'm going to go for the one that's lost. He's passionate about it. His desire is that none should perish, but all should come to what? Repentance. That's his desire. He knows no boundaries. Second is this. Jesus plows the soil of the heart with conviction in order to sow the seed, and I would say the seed of salvation. Some of you have unsaved family members or work colleagues or people in your life. And God wants to use you to help plow the soil in a loving, gracious, compassion way so that they can see the truth of the gospel. So when I first heard the gospel, and this makes no sense when you hear me say this now, when I first heard the gospel, I was three years out before I was saved, born again, and came to faith in Christ. You're like, how in the world could you sit and listen to that for three years and not have been converted so much sooner? Because the soil was being toiled. Um, what is that called in the garden where you toil the soil? Is that what it's called? Where you till the soil. Till the soil and get the soil ready in order to receive the seed. Third is this. Jesus viewed his work as the very nourishment of his own soul. The gladdest moment of your life, the gladdest moment of your life is when you see another person come to faith in Christ. I'm so dry right now. I haven't led anybody to the Lord in a while, and I'm dry. And I know what it's like to sit next to somebody when you open the scriptures and you share the gospel, and they say, that's, that's what I want. What must I do to be saved? I want you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus and he'll save you. That's, that was the heartbeat of Christ. That's all he wanted. That's all he desires for any of us. And he was nourished by that. He was fed by that. Sometimes I try to satisfy my soul with a lot of other things that just don't bring it. This brings it. Salvation of lost people brings nourishment. Okay. And then what can we do? Here's, th here's three things I'm going to send you out with for the week, okay? The first is this. Seek to see my own sin as God exposes my heart. I talked about that. Watch what he's doing in your heart as he desires to grow you in your faith. Second is this. Seek to worship unlimited by location. <laughs> the detour that she set um, Jesus on, he didn't bite. He didn't take the bait at all. Um, you can worship at church. You can worship at your kitchen table. You can worship out on a walk. You can worship holding your grandchildren's hands. 
and introducing them to the Savior. There's all kinds of ways you can worship him, and it never ceases. God desires to make a worshiper of you so that you, in turn, can give that praise back to him through the way you live your life. And third is this. Seek to participate in sowing and watering, and God reaps the harvest. A lot of what you'll share, you actually won't have the joy of leading somebody to Christ. You're probably planting a seed and you're going to do some watering. Occasionally you get to be involved or around when the harvest comes on. Not always. And Jesus was saying in that passage of Scripture, he's just like, it's okay. Some are going to water, some will reap, but you keep sowing. Keep sowing the seeds. Let's look at our closing application because... Look in your Bible, and I'm going to read this last passage of Scripture and then pray for us. Look how it ends in verse 40 through 42, and then we close the passage and end our encounter. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him, in who? In Jesus Christ, right? Because the word of the woman was testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This is a magnificent picture of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which you know so well, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is exactly the journey that Jesus has been on. In John chapter 2, we see him in Jerusalem. You can look at the map and trace his journey. When we get to John chapter 3, he's in Judea. And you remember he said in John chapter 4, i got to go through Samaria on my way to Galilee. And then he goes to the other parts. It's a perfect picture of what Christ is doing through the gospel of John, which has been entrusted to us to reach the nations for Jesus Christ. Same three takeaways as the final application. View your life encounters through God's eyes. View your life encounters through God's expectations. And view your life encounters through God's excitement. What I've shared with you today is the excitement of God. This is the very word of God. And so as you head out this week, as we pray now for one another, as we go out, be, be watching for the encounters that we get to experience in a counseling situation, through your family, through the people who employ you. Put on Jesus and honor him as you worship him with your very life. Amen? Okay, I'm going to pray for you and you pray for me. Okay, I'm going to give you time to do that. Let's bow and we'll pray together. Father God, we collectively bow out of a heart of worship for you. You alone are worthy of our praise. 
Thank you for the salvation you've brought to us through Jesus Christ and have given us the water to drink, the living water, so we don't have to thirst anymore for something else. May we find peace in that. May we find rest in that. May we find comfort in that. And may we find a zeal and a passion to reach other people because of that truth. So I pray for our little church today and Hermanas today, God, that you'll help us as we're sent out this week to have encounters and to share Christ with other people. God, do for us what you did for the disciples. Open our eyes so we can see. And when our eyes are open, teach us how to cross boundaries in order to be faithful with truth. And praise God that somebody reached out to us. And may we get a hold of just the preciousness of our own salvation that would even create in us a greater desire to see others come to faith in your son. It's the passion of my heart, God. And we are dry. We want to see people saved. We don't even want to grow our church because people leave another church to come here. We want to grow our church because people come to faith in Christ. So as your disciples, as we're dispatched now, help us to do that, Lord. Father, we pray for one another. Pray for the people sitting around me today. Pray for people who are a part of our service today who've never given their life to your son and been born again, that they would see their need of Christ. Their own sin would cause conviction that would lead to conversion. Would you do that for them? And Lord, help us as a church as we desire to grow and be faithful to you. I thank you for our people, Lord. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their stewardship. I thank you for their love for you that is often expressed in ways that I cherish and admire and get to participate in together. So you have your perfect way, Father, as we end our service and as you send us on your way. In your son's precious name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Amen indeed. Well, you know that you're not dismissed. You know you are now sent. Uh, Get ready for next week. The Martha Mary story is all about worship. And it's like one of the greatest passages of scriptures for every mother who's going to try to get into her kitchen and make everybody happy next week, okay? It's probably going to try to happen. And so now it's time for some coffee and tea and fellowship. We'll bring the kids back in. May the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. And may you go forward in his name. Amen? Amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.